Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest. Today is the 31st of March and the year is 2021. Now, today I'm going to drop a slightly different podcast and it will be shorter. It's going to be one of my philosophical entries. Now, the philosophy I'm going to talk about today is not about the new paradigm for studying scientific research, which I call dialectical event ontology. Uh, We've talked about that at great length, and I hopefully have explained to you uh, where I'm coming from with that paradigm, and I use it regularly in my lectures. Today, I'm going to go back into some more uh, formal and perhaps even formidable epistemology and metaphysics as it relates to the scientific inquiry, which is what we do here at Authentic Biochemistry. So let me get started here with that discussion. Again, it's going to be a lot shorter than usual because um, it's a philosophical drop. So I'm calling this involving instance. And that's spelled I-N-S-T-A-N-E-N-C-E. Now, if you look up that word, you will not find it, I hope, in uh, the dictionary that is on the online dictionary or anywhere else because I invented the word. And I invented it because I needed to to explain what I wanted to say. So let me explain what that all means. Okay. The way I got about this is I asked a question to myself all the time when I look at scientific literature or when I do research science, and that is, what is involved to make a sound decision? Now, there are a great deal of logical formula for that, and I use them. One of them, of course, is the square of opposition, which I brought into authentic biochemistry on multiple occasions. Um, But... I really wanted to interrogate myself more about that question. Now, you know that biochemistry is a scientific discipline, and it's one that examines and interprets uh, the foundational structures and functions of living systems. And as a biochemist, when I work in the laboratory, I must make decisions by empirical and by rational means. Usually they're blended together. So before an experiment is ever conducted and the microfuge tubes are labeled, uh, the reagents prepared and filtered through submicron filters, frozen cell stock may be thawed and dispensed and cultured, extractions can be performed, and either lipids or proteins and nucleic acids are isolated, and multiple instrument-dedicated assays are performed and repeated multiple times against I guess, both positive and negative controls and quantifiable standards under diverse specified conditions, all to enhance accuracy and precision. Uh, Chromatography columns are poured and calibrated. Gel rigs assembled and either agarose or acrylamide are added. And prior to all that bench work and much more that I just described there, rational decisions had to be made, okay? And this means that the deduced research agenda 
and any accompanying hypothesis, which I, of course, always call a hypothetical deduction, had been arrived at via careful reading of the peer-reviewed literature. And, of course, the biochemical protocols have to be written along with the experimental design. So this is all a priori to the start of any experiment in the biochem laboratory. The decisions made during this pre-lab stage in research science must be reevaluated throughout the experiment and throughout it all. Um, I guess the independent researcher has to gain confidence that he believes in the purpose, scope, and indeed the significance of his research. And overall, the experimental franchise. So belief is at the core of laboratory research. I would argue as it is with any scholarly endeavor. So from this dialectical process, I own the responsibility to use all of my knowledge and skill as a biochemist to ethically conduct research, either at the bench or when reviewing the scientific literature and reporting on it, giving lectures or writing review articles, for example. And if I work very hard, which I usually do, and if I'm lucky, which I'm not always, some small component of truth about nature may obtain, because that's my job, to try to find truths with small t about nature, particularly biochemical nature. Now, what follows, I think, is my formulation of method in this pursuit. So it's something I've given some thought to, and this is what I'm offering to you today. Now, as with any judgment, as there are reasons for believing, there are also reasons for disbelieving. And the freely willed decision to choose which should involve the discovery of truths to use as exemplars for seeking coherence and foundation to the premises that necessarily and sufficiently support the better argument for that decision. So to apprehend truth, which, which follows, to apprehend that truth, will always be a journey that starts with an honesty to oneself. Because truth requires the individual to become perpetually forgiving to possibilities while boldly skeptical to probability. Now, I know that sounds heretical and odd, but that is how I perceive truth to be gathered. Once I'll repeat that. Truth requires an individual to become perpetually forgiving to, that means allowing for possibility, while boldly skeptical to probability, because probability involves patterns, you see? So my view is distinct from traditional empirical methods, I guess, but it rests comfortably, I would argue, in the halls of epistemology, for epistemology is a study of knowledge, right? So this is because empirical methods start with that hypothetical deduction, while purposely ignoring 
what came before it or the prior inductive. So a general theory is a probability, while an individual discrete ideas, often independent of each other, share a common source, that of the general concept that led them there. However, there are two other roads that I've mapped out for myself that I can take. The first is a regress to the original evidence that upon analysis and discussion became the general theory. So going back, right? And the other is the untethering to the general, uh, from the general, I should say, to the ideal. So it's kind of like how the imaginary numbers exist between two spaces in the line, right? The ideal. So the ideal is distinct from the general in that it is the higher good. By definition, I would argue. This also separates the ideal from ideas because ideas are well, basically representations of phenomena when they are not present. While the ideal is that which resides in the noumena. Noumena are free from all sensorial aspect. They're the that of the event. Most significantly, the ideal is imparted by the individual, thus providing a connection or ontogeny back to the self. Therefore, you own what you call the ideal. Now, in my view, the division of epistemology and metaphysics was a mistake. I can join them as they once were. Now, this would put me pre, certainly pre-Aristotelian, maybe even pre-Platonic. Metaphysics, of course, the study what there is, what there was, and what may be and what cannot become. Epistemology, as I've said, is the study of how we reach metaphysical truths, uh, knowledge basically, and the standard techniques are the dialectic and the mechanisms of knowing. The former includes logic, teleology, and systematic reasoning, something I call LTS, while the latter requires the old traditional justification of true beliefs, or JTB. Now, by recombining epistemology with metaphysics, I am able to fold both LTS and JTB into phenomenology and ideation, all of which require, you guessed it, the free choice of the will. The offspring of this effort is something I call instenance. Now, to explain this paradigm shift, it's necessary to complete the pathway towards knowledge. That's what I'm going to do. <clears throat> so once truths can be discovered, the next movement is justify the decision by gathering evidence and generating new premises based on the valency of previous events with differential patterns of recognition married to honest experiences populated by clear recollection with an eye to the future and any and all possible consequences. So that's a justification move, right? Finally, 
the endojective instantiation of the freely willed judgment with individually owned and formulated moral instantial must obtain. So when I use my full faculty of reason, this is the means by which I form my beliefs. Again, requiring beliefs as the foundation of my knowledge. Now, I won't forget it, and so I will now describe. Emotion can intrude upon this process. And while it's this inevitable and even agreeable during the contemplative process, it makes you feel good, right? Any fundamental value-laden beliefs that form the core of one's moral code must not be unduly influenced by mood and the inherent liability in general of the affective state. Otherwise, it would be difficult to re-arrive in that location. And these, after all, are beliefs. So day-to-day decisions can be enhanced and thus emotionally encoded by what I call an endojective affective geist. And if these are purified through the crucible of time and experience, the executive functions of prefrontal cortex may become unaware even of their original influence. Now, I know a lot of people are saying, well, what is he talking about here? Why doesn't he give an example? And I'm going to answer that rhetorical question. A good example of this is the favorite song paradigm, favorite song in Scarecrow's. Now, there are numerous songs I'm most fond of. When I hear one of them, I find myself recommending its sublime nature to loved ones all around me, even maybe to strangers, right? I am self-transported to some space-time that brings a sense of comfortable affirmation from my life to the surface of my consciousness when I hear my song. Now, when this happens, I rarely can recall with precision the first time I heard the song or the circumstances that eoipso prevailed. This kind of decision is sparked from some original past immediacy. It is largely harmless, I would guess, since it should not unduly mediate my canonical belief system. However, this may not always be the case. There are songs in my past that I have found, upon reason and reflection, to be rather distasteful now to my belief system. Clearly, this is music with words, right? Fine music or instrumental pieces, say of rock, or songs performed in a different language I don't fluently possess, can also instill great reinforcement of my individuality. They, after all, are my music. But in these cases, I can formulate my own significance and meaning to the music. Indeed, I can create nonverbal libretto full of imagery that changes almost as often as I hear the piece each next time. Because of this, I have significantly moved toward appreciating fine music over the course of my lifetime. That's just a general thing that I've noticed. And I say over the course of my lifetime, ever since really in my late teens, early 20s. Now, this example is offered to allow for the intrusion of emotion to play a significant role in decisions and even more substantial acts of free will, individual judgments. I extend this finally to personal beliefs. But in these special cases, emotion itself must be Endojectively understood 
as sequenced elements of the imagination and thus composed of original ideas necessary simply to complete the thought, because that's what imagination does for you, allows you to complete the thought. You start a sentence, you're looking to end the sentence, you have to imagine the beginning throughout its delivery, see? So in this way, emotions are the adverbial phrases to the actuated agency of moral judgments. Which brings me to another key element of existential judgments and the practical nature of individual knowledge. For this, I must explain my deductive mood, which translates existence into the individualized experience. And once again, I will tell you, I call this instanence. So mere existence does not perform as a predicate. I've said this many times. It does not appear as a condition or a property or an accident in phenomena. Existence is only currently present. Existence is inductively self-nominal, cannot occur individually or independently as any kind of isolatable event. Hope, hopefully you agree with that argument. Now, instanence is a genetically chosen and deductively self-actuating. For example, another example, when courage appears in an individual, it discloses that individual for how he freely chooses to act. In this way, courage becomes an ontological axis of will, which defines an event in becoming and is thus his ethical instantial. So upon contemplative magnification, I see that existence resides within the structure-substance relationship. In order to react potently, though, within a rational metaphysics, which is what I'm getting at, I argue for an agentic phenomenal paradigm. And then once again, I call this, this instanence. I do it to appropriately obtain the time-dependent event ontology from the rather inadequate and static substance ontology worldview. This is how I discarded existential in favor of my instantial, which I discussed earlier, because that reflects the eventuating agency of the ontologically instantiating, causing, in his world, individual. So the individual self instantiates his living in time. And the input is his instantial, excuse me, not his input, his output. So in, that includes any virtue he agentically events into his unfolding instanence. Let me repeat that because I made a mistake when I used the wrong word. The individual self instantiates his living in time and the output is his instantial, including any virtue he agentically events into his unfolding instanence. So an affirmation of that worldview of absolute personal responsibility requires that virtues like courage are proto-instantials, that is, potential instantiating actions 
of one's endojective awareness. Remember, endojective is my metaphysical term for metaphysical subjectivity. It is by this means of self-apprehending that the individual freely chooses to be courageous. So the instantial has nothing to do with culturally aggregated or assimilated normative structures and everything to do with freely willed, contemplative and self-imposed individual defining commitment. Hence, the inwardly reconciled JTB and the reasoning power of the LTS, remember that's the dialect there, are satisfied. And this result can be recognized as self-revealing, agentic, metaphysical knowledge. That is the definition of instance. Thus, only with an endojective knowledge, thus producing the instantial, can any rational decision, including scientific ones, be found as valid. So when I make a decision, I alone am responsible from its inception to delivery. This is the form of the ideal. So I'll close with one final statement that puts it all together for me. All is by the grace of God, who has bestowed upon every individual his greatest gift. Of course, that is the free choice of the will. So I'll leave you with that. Hopefully, I've convinced you of my new concept called instance. Uh, in the show notes, I will spell that out for you again and maybe put a little bit of uh, other narrative uh, in the show notes. But um, you can share this with anyone. Uh, this is basically a philosophical drop from authentic biochemistry um, to allow you to see where I'm coming from when I deliver um, my lectures in biochemistry. And what the reason that I went through this whole process is to try to dissect within my own reasoning process how I come up with beliefs that I can say I know are true. Because there's if it's not something I believe, how can I call it true? And if it's true, how can I not believe it? Right? And if I can use that as a core to my understanding of research science, then what I'm explaining to you is something I built upon a strong foundation, right? An architectonic. And that's where we should start with not just scholarly endeavor, but I think with any discussion of what we really truly want to understand about the world around us. So, okay. So anyways, this is Dr. Dan Guerra uh, on the 31st of March. 2021 from Authentic Biochemistry Studios saying uh, thank you for listening and bye for now.